Right then, everybody, um, this is going to be a little bit different this evening, coming at you from two feeds, not just one. Um, there's been Mork and Mindy and Happy Days, there's been the Colbys, there's been Dynasty, but never before in the history of pop culture has there been a crossover of such magnitude as what you are going to witness this evening. <laughs> now, representing from Birmingham, the of a podcast i am mike and i have with me paul and over in bristol who's over there in bristol hello it's ian yes you motherfuckers yes <laughs> you finally got us on the line you finally got our lazy monkey asses to cooperate on this fine endeavor <laughs> oh it's so it's I mean, good it's good sorry god we usually sort of throw out some blatant plugs for our podcast at the beginning and i don't see why this evening should be any different uh, we don't want to be contrived after all. Um, you can find Paul and I at chinstrokerversuspunter.podomatic.com. We also have a blog site. And you can email us at chinstrokerversuspunter at gmail.com. That's vspunter at gmail.com. What about you, Ian? How can these fine people get in touch with you? Uh, you can find my show uh, uh, on iTunes. Just look for Cinerama, really. But don't download everything at once because I had an email from my podcast host today saying that I'm nearly at my monthly limit, so go Ooh. easy. Go easy, Which folks. Limit? Wow, look at you, Mr. Popular. Ooh. Hey, it happened to you guys a few months ago. It's never happened to me before. Yeah, so. back in the glory days of 2008, <laughs> I tell you, 2009, this recession. That was when we peaked. Yeah, yeah, it's been all downhill from there. Although, we, uh, well, I posted up two new episodes yesterday, and because of the flurry of new content, we had, um, I think, since last night, uh, 150 direct downloads, no less. I think that's our our 24-hour record. So, a bit of celebrating going on here. Yeah, that shit yeah, we... caught me unawares, guys. That was uh, that was very very pleasant for uh, the bus ride to see Friday the 13th today. Thank you. Problem that I had was when it comes to editing our show was that we got two episodes recorded because I've been just like uh, dragging my heels a little bit editing them, and because I knew we were going to be recording tonight and I wanted to get this episode out at the same time you get it out on your feed, I had to just go into like fifth gear. You said get it out. Sorry. <laughs> two, two sips of red wine. But somebody had to. But, but you were saying that you were. Sorry. This is going to be more difficult to edit out the derisive laughter of two people. <laughs> All the echoes back, <laughs> but um, you were saying that you went to see. Um, I mean, before um, we sort of get into it, I should probably point out to the listeners how we're going <laughs> to structure <clears throat> in italics this this evening. Is uh, we do have a film that we're going to be sort of dissecting a little bit, as as Paul and I do on our show, or have been known to. And um, but there's a couple of other things because we're sort of all getting together for the first time to uh, talk about our films. A few other things I'd like to throw out there. I mean, firstly, um, you were saying that you saw Friday the 13th this afternoon. I'm going to see it tomorrow. So uh, any observations? I don't want to spoil your Cinerama review, but uh, anything you want to say on that? Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's not gory enough. I thought take away a couple of tits and you probably could have got away with a 15. But um, a tits, you say? Oh yeah, there's there's quite a few pairs on display actually. Um, I was okay. I was quite... You've answered my second question there. Yeah, no, it was um, surprisingly uh, upfront as such with the nudity. I was uh, I was surprised, but um, the the gore's not so much there. There's a couple of decent kills, but nothing like my favourite kill of the Friday the Thirteenth series, which was the head punching off in uh, Part Eight, Jason Takes Manhattan. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you see, even even the least redeemable chapters in the franchises still have these little nuggets hidden away in them, though, don't they? That's it. Like, part seven's got uh, the start of it. It's a James Bond uh, parody. 
it's brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like he, he comes into the sort of crosshair, doesn't he? And like slashes at the camera, if I remember correctly. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then it all goes like blood red and everything and it falls down just like James Bond. It's fucking incredible. But um, yeah, no, it's good. They've, bit... they've... Sorry. Good. No, I'm just curious. But one thing I was wondering about it was the tone of it, because is this the same director who did the Chainsaw Massacre remake? Yeah, and actually, there's there's a little bit that you can kind of... T- well, there's two b- ways you can tell. The start of it, it's like the opening credits kind of flash up in this very kind of like... As if it was on some sort of like investigation report kind of text, like the font. And it's very out oh, of right, place. Okay. It's, it's very weird, very out of place. Because my concern was that, that because of his direction style, that it was going to be quite a grungy film, whereas the Friday the 13 films have always been very light, frothy kind of affairs. I mean, where does this stand within that? Uh, it's there's there's a there's a bit of humour. There's like token black guy and token Asian guy. They get most of the humour, and then uh, the rest of it's actually kind of serious. But th- th- actually, there is a very funny bit with a redneck trying to come onto a, a plastic model. Which was uh, funny, but I'll I'll leave that for you to see. Oh, okay then. Okay, I mean, as I say, I am seeing this tomorrow night, so I don't have to dread it or f- worry about disappointment there. What did you think about the uh, Halloween remake? Well, retelling. Uh, I hated it. I thought it was balls. Um, yeah, I'm not looking forward to the sequel at all myself. Uh, I thought the backstory bit was shit and i thought laurie strode was a bit of a slut in the remake which i thought took away the whole point yeah well she, it, she had a lot of innocence in the first one i mean the other, the other thing as well was the fact that um one of my concerns about the friday the 13th film was the the retelling of the origin story because the main criticism of zombies um halloween was that um it's demythologized um Michael Myers by giving too much biographical information i mean ha- without getting into spoiler territory how is the in this because obviously in the first film it was his mother and Jason wasn't really introduced as an antagonist until the sequel I mean do they does it piss on that continuity or is it a retelling I mean well now that you've said the ending of the first film I can actually kind of say um the basically the 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 demise of the mother is dealt with in the opening two or three minutes that's what I was expecting yeah and then it and then it goes on from there so uh yeah, no, it, um, it there's a that it starts off with Baghead Jason, like in uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, and then he gets the hockey mask about a third of the way through, and then it's pretty much just your standard like stalk and slash kind of thing. So it's a kind of great greatest hits of Jason for the first sort of third of the movie. Uh, it's kind of that for like the whole film, to be honest. But then the end of the film, not to give away any spoilers at all, but they suggest that could go in another direction i mean there was obviously going to be a hint of a sequel but it's going to be interesting to see what they do okay i mean this this is probably going to end up being like a yearly franchise isn't it like perhaps one of the saw um type things where you know i think we've got part is it part five or part six coming out next halloween and maybe they're going to try and make these a yearly thing they should have stopped after the first one I've got a I've got a certain amount of affection for the first Saw movie, but uh, I like I like Eli Roth, so I don't really have the right to comment on uh, pretty much anything. <laughs> I think in polite society, <laughs> but uh, I mean one other thing you know I wanted to, to bring up and throw out there before we get into the sort of uh, the raw meat and potatoes of this evening is uh, Paul and I did an episode of, I got a month or two months back or something like that, 
and we've got quite a lot of feedback about it. It was our um, TV show episode. Now, I seem to recall you mentioning briefly on Cinerama what your TV viewings were. I think you had a bit of listener feedback asking you about that. But, um, I mean, I don't know whether you listened to our episode or not, but I was just wondering what kind of uh, film, visual entertainment you ingest. Um, well, actually, I, I mentioned uh, one of the, the shows uh, I watch on uh, the voicemail I gave you guys in the last show, and I, I heard some rather derisory, or derisory, how do you pronounce it anyway, uh, kind of laughing from one of you. Derisory, is that it? That would have been my cup of Zoom. Well, yeah, uh, uh, well, <laughs> yeah I mentioned what was Heroes. It? Sorry, which show? Oh, Heroes. Yes, uh, yes, I despise that program. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're we're up to the last episode of the second season. Uh, oh, been... so you probably despise it as well now, then? I'd yeah, imagine it, it's been uneven as fuck. And... The second season was terrible. I thought. Yeah, it was the writers' strike, though, wasn't it? They uh, it kind of got fucked through that. But I heard I feel, the first season was great. I mean, I know that it was it was an unfortunate point in the storyline when the, the the writer's strike hit, but I think that that was probably actually a problem because just clusterfucked themselves so badly with the, with the storyline and the lack of direction and how reactionary the storyline was that I think that they should have seen the writer's strike as an opportunity to just um, sort it out. Yeah, take a breath, step back, step back, think about it, hire some people who actually understand the genre that they're writing for. Um, and, and then go forward because I mean at this point with Heroes never thought I'd say this I'd rather watch Smallville because at least Smallville's fucking funny I mean but, but sorry uh, <laughs> but it, 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 sorry I quite like Smallville <laughs> I do and I thought I, my I, Eli, Eli Roth mission was bad yeah I never I never start, started watching Smallville so it, um, you know there's quite a few seasons to get through now isn't there so, that so, so what else is on your uh your, your TV screen or your BitTorrent or your TiVo or whatever? Uh, let me see. Lost. Um, Donna and I are watching a lot of the 4400 at the moment. I don't know whether you guys have heard of that. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I've never I just finished it. watching the last last uh, season of that. What did you think? Uh, I, I really enjoyed it all the way through. I'm just, I just think it's a shame that, uh, that it got cancelled. And they didn't really get to sort of... I mean, they had a lot of interesting plot lines going at the time where it got cancelled, and they didn't really they didn't really tie any of them up. It just ended. Shit, really? Uh, we just got to the end of uh, the second season the other day, and uh, we're going to plough into the third season soon, so... Uh... I mean, see, season... Th- I mean, they're all good. Season four is really good, but I knew that it had been axed watching it. And when it got to the final episode, I think I was expecting a little bit of closure. And although they, although they do go out with a bit of a bang, it it there's a little bit of a there's sort of a, a couple of minutes montage after after the finale and the last episode. Um, and they have all, the sort of all the major characters. They sort of show show them a few months down the line after the finale, and and that just opens up loads more questions and shows you a lot of the unanswered questions of the series as well but it's still well worth watching i'd recommend it to anyone what about um like hbo shows i mean they're obviously the sort of critical darling at the moment do you follow any of those do you know what uh i've been trying to get to sum up the the botheredness to get into the wire and i've watched the first episode so far and that's it i just 
I mean, like, we've, I mean, I, I literally just stopped, stopped watching Hustle, the, the bloody BBC show, and, I mean, I had, like, three or four shows on at the go, and at, at the same time, and that's kind of enough for me, because I prefer watching films, so... Oh, so it's just a practical issue for you then, the fact that you can only have a few TV shows going on at a time. Yeah, to be honest, yeah, because uh, I just, yeah, like I say, I kind of prefer to stick to films. Not that I don't see the merits in TV, I absolutely do, but I, there's just not enough time in the day. Oh, so, so you don't have a kind of commodian attitude towards television then? Oh, fuck no. No, 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 no. Brilliant, brilliant. Oh, okay, I mean, just to sort of close this off, what about uh, British television? I mean, what do you think the state of that is at the moment? Uh, let me see. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think I can really say anything because I enjoy Hustle, and that's pretty much the most glossy, fluffy, lightweight thing you could possibly deal with. So to get me mm. to make a serious comment about the state of British TV would probably be a bit of a laugh, really. Well, the thing is, I think that a lot of the time you'll go to television with different expectations. Now, I, I don't generally go to films to and films that I do have that for, like comfort movies and guilty pleasures and the like. But um, with television, for me, it's more of just a candy floss kind of bubblegum, just switch it on. I think that my standards aren't quite as um, as exacting when it comes to picking what I'll watch on television over what I'll, I'll pick to watch at the cinema, for example. Well, no, I mean, I mean like, it's, it's all easily available and just there, isn't it? So you can literally just sit there and watch it, not really having to make any effort. I mean, one thing I was curious about, because, uh, I mean, Paul and I, Paul, by the way, has gone for a piss at the moment, which is why I'm okay, monopolising the conversation. So I, can hear him, uh, I, I can hear him cackling from upstairs as I'm saying that. <laughs> when, the experiences I had of hanging out with projectionists were, I mean, I'm talking early 90s, but would you, do, do the only opportunities you get to see the films at the cinema, are they when you're either testing the print and or just getting a free ticket? I mean, do you ever can you watch the films from the projection booth and plug your headphones in, or is it just... Can Game you take over. a high-def camcorder? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what we're both asking here, really, isn't it? No, I, I, no, I would never do that because I quite like getting paid. But um, no, I mean, I can. Um, we can turn up the volume uh, on the uh, like the speaker systems and all the screens, so we can uh, we can hear everything. And and so I mean, like feasibly, yes, you could you could stand there and watch a film, but. It's a 13-screen cinema. There's like pretty much, on average, a film on every 10 minutes. Oh, so, so you're always busy. Yeah, pretty much, to be honest. Brilliant. Okay, well, um, shall we jump into this week's topic of discussion? Do we have to? Is that all right with you? <laughs> you yeah, you're still recovering, aren't you? Well, if you yeah. will watch these films at like 5 o'clock in the afternoon, man, I mean, Jesus. Yeah, but I fucking... I, I, I got back from Friday the 13th and, you know, I just thought, fuck it, I'll have a few beers, I'll, I'll, I'll watch <laughs> it. I, I oh, Jesus that probably, Christ. That probably wasn't the best idea, was it, really? But uh, I would have thought this was a, a far more frightening experience than Friday the 13th. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the fact that I actually had to skip some of it was, uh, I'll be honest and up front, I couldn't watch some of it, but... Do you guys actually want to say what it is, just in case people don't know? Mary Poppins this week. <laughs> that one Dick Van Dyke number is horrifying, isn't it? <laughs> okay, then. Oh, well, flying nannies, I can't fucking take it. Oh, Harry. <laughs> okay, this week uh, we are going to be talking about on Chinorama. Yes, you heard yeah! me. Yeah! Film sorry. of many titles. Oh, actually, no, sorry, before we get into this, we need to set the scene. I am on Golden I Virginia. Ca- I, I, I like 
chin stroker versus punterama myself. <laughs> you see, that's that, that you know with an easier way of saying that. Okay, this evening I am on Golden Virginia and Verser two pound forty nine wine. What are you on this evening, Paul? I'm on red wine and cheese. Fantastic. What are you on tonight, Ian? I'm on a fifteen bottle pack of Budweiser, the official beer of Ian Loring. I think not only do we need to do a crossover drunken commentary, yes. I think we should do world's first ever crystal meth commentary. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, yeah, is, you that, want it. is that a commentary whilst crystal method is playing in the background? Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll, we'll put on CPU. It'll be cool. Okay, so uh, how many of your 15 pack are you into at the moment? Let's get a bit of context here. Fuck. Uh, well, I had, a, I had a big bottle of Cobra as well. Um, so I had that during Towelhead. So, um, let me see. Which is the film we're talking about this evening. Oh, nice fuck. fuck! No, I didn't mean <laughs> Towelhead. I meant Beauty and the Beast. Um, yes. Okay. Uh, this <laughs> is number five. You. Number five. Okay. I-, I am just finishing my first bottle of white wine. Oh, sweet. That's where I'm standing at the moment. Uh, I've had a very pressing work uh, week, so but I'm not going to go into that because uh, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> what, who do you work for? MI6? Yeah, right. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> All right, then, boys. Uh, this week, a movie from 2008, uh, written and directed by TV producer extraordinaire, ex playwright, uh, Oscar winning scriptwriter, Writer, Alan Ball. Director. Um, he can ride a bike. And this film has come gone by several titles. It was originally... It's based on a novel by Alicia Ariane called Towelhead. Uh, when it was first released to, I believe, the Toronto Film Festival in 2007, it was released under the name Nothing Is Private. Now, I believe that the way that the titling occurred was that um, there was a little bit of apprehension about the word, obviously, and... He gave him to pressure, but as soon as it had finished at Toronto, basically he grew a pair and decided to call it Towelhead for its what would become its theatrical and DVD release. But the, I mean, the book was called Towelhead. Yes, but where's the where's the issue with it? What they say there's there's more movie in the world. Well, I think that it's this film is a much more commercial market. You, you don't see trailers for books on in magazines or on television. I mean. Uh, I mean, Ian, do you th- have you heard anything about the title change, or do you think that maybe it's a contentious name for a film, problematic? Well, do you know what? It confused the fuck out of me when I went on IMDb to have a look at like, the credits and whatnot, because... Ah, uh, yeah. They've I got it listed as nothing is private. Yeah, but the poster image they've got says Towelhead. So you've got Towelhead <laughs> yeah. and nothing is private. It makes no, no sense. I mean, obviously they couldn't call it bloody Towelhead. I mean... It would be like if the sequel was called Sand Nigger, and I, I say that just mm. because that's what they call people in the film and whatnot, as you guys know. But um, and of course, of course. It, and it, but yeah, I I can't believe they tried getting away calling it Towelhead anyway in the first place. To be honest, I mean the film's uncommercial enough without that name. The, the first, most of the fuss about the film that I've read is about the title and not about the content. Well, those people haven't seen the fucking film then. Exactly. Say that much, Christ. <laughs> I'm loving this. I'm sensing righteous indignation all the way from Brighton. <laughs> from Brighton? From Bristol, even. From somewhere. From somewhere that, that isn't Birmingham. <laughs> now, you see, I, I just want to point out for a moment here, I am still quite startled by the technology of doing this because I'm quite oafish when it comes to technology. And to me, this is some kind of voodoo. We're recording a podcast with somebody who isn't here. You're in our computer. There's a little <laughs> man in our computer talking to us. <laughs> and you haven't even drunk that much yet. <laughs> 
It's for crystal meth, my man. I tell you, it's uh, it's messing with my mind. I'm sensing that. Uh, do you think then, Ian? That I don't know whether you were implying this or not, but that the first name Towelhead to be provocative. I think he must have been because otherwise, well, why would he it, call was it? Was it not? I mean, the, the the book's title existed first, didn't it? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, it, you're right. It's a, it, he may have known that it would draw more reaction if that's what he was going to call his film. Well, as he well. always had the option of retitling. But it. he could have he could have had it called because what I read about the Toronto Film Festival was they originally had it posted as Towelhead. Mm. They got some complaints. They changed it to Nothing Is Private, and then during the Toronto Film Festival. He grew a pair mm. and changed it back to, okay, towards l- the end of the let festival. Let me be clear. I have no problem whatsoever with a film being called Towelhead. No. But I would understand that you wouldn't want to have the poster for this film because it could cause offence. You're not going to stick it outside your local mosque, are yeah. you? I mean, where, where do you stand on that, Ian? Call a film what you want. I mean, it's the content of the film, I suppose, that's that's most important. But all I can think is, Towelhead's a provocative name. Nothing is private. It's about as generic and boring a name as you can get for a film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's almost uh, along the lines of like the soft core post uh, fatal attraction kind of indecent disclosure kind of level of film title. <laughs> to be fair, I I don't know. I mean, like the the film in a way to some people might be considered soft core. Well, no. Well, it depends if you're into that kind of thing, I suppose, but. Well, I think this is one of those films where, I mean, we're going to get into this, we'll jump into the plot in a moment, but whenever I see a film like this, I always want to kind of sit sit the director down or the writer-director down and say, okay, where are you coming from here? I, like, I almost feel like I need some kind of authorial understanding. You, am I making any sense with that? I think so, myself. I, I mean, Paul, I don't, know, I, I don't know what you think, but I, I yeah, I mean, I think you've got to understand what was going on in the heads of the people who made this film to to really get a bearing on kind of what to think of it. Well, and also to decide whether um, it's explorative or exploitative as well. Sorry, by the way, when I said Paul, I wasn't confusing you two. I was just wondering what Paul thought as well. I was going to jump in. I was just waiting for Mike to uh, wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> never! Never! <laughs> I don't necessarily think you need to know... Uh, what the filmmaker or the writer was thinking to draw your own conclusions from the film. Um, I thought that, I mean, it's since it, I think we'll probably talk more about um, the meaning behind the content rather than the plot points mm. themselves. Um, I didn't think, uh, I thought this was quite a run-of-the-mill story, a run-of-the-mill coming-of-age story wrapped up in a few contentious points basically i didn't think it was you didn't I, feel scandalized I, I was, by I, it, so. no i think it's i think cringeworthy would yes. be a good description yeah, yeah, i think I it's it was like the dramatic version of the office in the way it, you almost had to watch it through between from between your fingers mm. not because i don't think it was ever particularly graphic so that although uh, sorry maybe graphic in its intent but never explicit you never actually saw anything yeah. so so I don't think well there was probably never... more nudity in Friday the 13th than there was yeah uh, uh, but um yeah, I, th- I think as well. but I think that um, <laughs> I think from the point of view of the, the age of the main protagonist the things that happened although she never really she's never really an unwilling 
she's never really an unwilling figure in anything that happens to her. It's never like she's forced. No, but she's manipulated. Yeah. Which is as bad when you're a 13-year-old girl. I suppose. I mean, all I can say is I think we've picked a hell of a fucking film for our first ever crossover. But, um, okay, let's look at some of the, the, the talents involved in this. Directed, produced, and written by Alan Ball. Uh, obviously came to prominence um, as a, a playwright. And then through his collaboration with Sam Mendes, um, produced American Beauty. Um, he, was he? He was he that did Six Feet Under and True yeah, Blood as well. Yeah, he, I mean, True Blood. I think. I mean, it's it, like this film and like a lot of Alan Ball stuff. It, it's slow. I mean, a lot of them are slow builders, and I think at, in some points in this film, particularly, and with True Blood, I'm a fan of True Blood, but sometimes my, my finger will be hovering over the fast forward button because. It's, it's funereal almost, isn't it? It is in its pace. It really is so, so, it's just like wading through treacle, it's so slow. What about American Beauty, Ian? Have you um, got any feelings about that film? Because that's kind of was the, the, the mission statement of Alan Ball as a writer, at least. Um, I haven't seen it for years. Uh, I think I've probably only watched it twice. I thought it was all right. Um, the, I mean, I think the plastic bag kind of parody to death, and I think, you know, whatever i thought it was i thought it was overrated at the time i thought it was a it was an okay film but i thought i, I couldn't believe the sort of reaction that it was getting from press and from people in the business and i mean it established um alan ball's sort of um fascinations as, as a writer and as a filmmaker in the sense that he is very interested in Forbidden the, love. Well, the, the intricacies of relationships, the subtleties of relationships. And I think it's interesting that you made a comparison with The Office because uh, both the American version and the UK versions of that, a lot like Larry David humour, like Seinfeld and Kirby Enthusiasm, are very interested in those little gaps in society, those little awkward rules of how you interact with people. Yeah. Uh, and this felt uh, feels very much like a play. I mean, I know... Ian, that you've spoke a lot on Cinerama about a staginess in films, particularly in relation to if something's being adapted from a play or something. Um, I mean, did this feel sort of stage, stagey and um, theatre writer backgroundy to you at all? Stagey? Um, I could, yeah, I could see it being being theatrical. I think a lot of what was going on was all quite sweeping, and there was. There were a lot, lots of serious points which needed to be made, and you know there was lots of kind of heightened kind of moments and whatnot. And it did, it did feel very theatrical. I mean, especially near the end where everybody's standing around and uh, the girl makes a confession about how she lost her virginity, and it, it was all like very, yeah, very theatrical. It was one of the the, the few moments of the film that actually worked for me. Yeah, that's because it was one of the few moments in the film where there was a bit of a bit of life, a bit of performance. I thought some of the actors in this film were terrible. Well, the, the guy that plays her father was uh, one of the most wooden men I've ever seen on film in my life. Paul, yes. Mike, what did I Twitter you like three yeah. hours ago? I don't know whether that was down to direction or whether that was just the the guy was sort of straight out of theatre school see, or to, something. To me, this, but... is, this is a lesson. I've heard many people say exactly what you guys have said. This is that is one of the many complaints uh, and critical arrows I've seen sort of you know slung at this film. Now, 
I, I'm amazed by this because I, I wasn't troubled by his performance whatsoever. I I'm curious to see what why you guys think that. I just thought well, it's just I just thought it stood out as a, a stilted. Um, he was just really wooden. There was no emotion in it. There was no. It was just like he was almost like someone was stood over the shoulder of the person he was delivering the lines to with a cue card. But that was the character. I, well, I don't know though. I don't know whether that would that the the, the characterisation of the man didn't fit with the performance. I don't think. Why do you think he should have been more fiery? I, well, I don't know. I don't. I can't really. All I can say, all I can comment is what was on the film, and what was on the film was not good. Okay, Ian, justify your Twitter father bad actor comment then. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with uh, with Paul basically. I mean, what the 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 writing would have it be, and what the performance should have been was far more complex than I think the performance that the guy offered. He was just very kind of one note just just like you must not wear makeup now i'm going out with this woman i am a hypocrite yes i am you know just for that for two hours it just it, it uh, just did not work but, but all of the all. characters in this film to a certain extent were depicted from the point of view of jasira though so well, I mean, that was how she saw the him. characters i mean they it was sort of like the uh, who's who of stereotypes it was like oh, absolutely. You had, you had the middle class black woman. You had blah blah blah. Do you know what I mean? Mm. The, every single character. Was you had the, the pregnant of, hippie chick who yeah, had her joysticks burning and was from Jim one Morrison. definite area of life, as it mm. were. Yeah. Um, well, I, I just I think I don't know whether it's because I thought American Beauty was well written. I thought it was overhyped. Have you ever seen Six Feet Under? I've seen a few. I've seen bits of Six Feet Under, and I've watched all of True Blood so far. Um, I think I just expected a little bit that I don't know more intelligent okay, let's, writing. Let's, let's pick this apart then, right? Okay, I'll, I'll take us into the film. Um, the f- the first thing that I noticed was that it's made by uh, well, it's the first logo you see is Warner Independent. Now, I'm curious to get a few thoughts on this whole um, weird sub. Um, studio branding that's been going on. Like Warner have got a few. They've got like yeah. their animation wing. They've got their straight to DVD. Uh, I've wing just as started well. playing uh, the Warner Brother video game uh, Fear Two. Very good. And like, and you've also got like, for example, Fox have got Fox Searchlight. Now, I mean, Ian, I think you're a lot more tuned in than Paul and I are into the sort of uh, the the mechanisms of film distribution. Is this film re- released by Warner Independent and not just by Warner Brothers? What's the politics or the, the, the sort of the justification for that? Well, do you know what? The interesting thing is that this must have been one of the last films that Warner Independent actually put out because they folded last year. It's why... Um, I don't know whether you heard that <coughs> Slumdog Millionaire nearly didn't have any distribution. Did you guys hear about that at all? No, no. Yeah, That seems unimaginable. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, basically, um, Warner Independent... Uh, were going to release the film, but then Warner decided to close Warner Independent Pictures. So uh, Slumdog Millionaire basically had no distributor for in America anyway for uh, for a while. It's released through Pathé in uh, <coughs> so maybe uh, they'd already picked it up. But basically, it actually had to tour film festivals, and then Fox Searchlight actually picked it up for U.S. distribution. So amazingly. And I can't believe I'm saying this, considering what I think about the studio. If it wasn't for Fox Searchlight, Slumdog Millionaire might not be quite where it is now. Okay, ha- hang on a second. This is Ian Loring from Bristol here, isn't it? Ian, we're going to 
key the cars of Fox employees, Loring. <laughs> I fucking hate Fox. Um, <laughs> the thing is, I like... The thing is, as well, Fox... Their bloody new Blu-ray releases don't work in my fucking player. I bought Taken today, and it won't work in my player, and apparently it never will. So that's it's another it, reason it, why I hate Fox. It's a, they're inventing new reasons for you to hate them. You're going to wake up in the middle of the night tonight with a Fox executive gently fingering your bottom. Don't, and you're going to be like, oh, God, Fox, what? We leave me alone. <laughs> you're ruining my life. Oh, no, I'm going to have nightmares about that now, and then I'm going to wake up and Donna's going to want to know why I'm calling her... Fingering yourself. Yeah, well, and that. Anyway. (laughs) You've got other explaining to do, mister. And, of course, they have got the children's channel Fox Kids, which which I could never understand. (laughs) So um, the new BBC porn channel, (laughs) C-boobies. Back into the movie here, Paul. What were we talking about? The film opens with um, Jazeera, the 13-year-old protagonist, um, being shaved by her sympathetic, uh, the boyfriend of her mother, played by, um, is it Maria Bella? Uh, yeah, Maria Bella, yeah. Okay, and um, and she's kind of enjoying the trappings of Western life, like watching Married with Children. And she has a confrontation with her mother, and uh, she's sent away to live with her father because the children at school are like, you know, calling her Chewbacca and her mother doesn't even know what that is. She doesn't sort of get the pop cultural references. And um, it's a way that her mommy's just, all of the characters in this film are just so vile uh, with obvious exceptions. Like when she's talking to her mom about the reason she's been sent away, her mom's like, Oh, stop crying. It's all your fault. So that's nice. The, uh, all the characters are incredibly, sort of childish all the adult characters are incredibly childish and incredibly self-involved as well it feels that every single character in this film wants something from Jazeera I mean is, is that a feeling anyone else got well I got I uh, I have to I was reading through some of the reviews on IMDB and most of them are glowing it has to be said there's obviously a lot of Alan Ball fans out there and as you get towards the end you get the sort of Mid, midway of you get the sort of devil's advocate type people and then down the bottom you were uh, yes Mike is miming playing a pinball machine again um, you were uh, at the bottom you get you know the people that are like I hate Alan Ball and hope he burns in hell for this film those sort of people and uh, I found myself agreeing more with the bottom rung right <laughs> yeah, okay I that's interesting I just thought that it was it was heavy handed a lot of it it was preachy there's hardly a nice person character wise in this film. Now, I mean, I mean, I know lots of nasty people, but I know far more nice people. Do you know what I mean? There's just this. I don't know. The the last review on that IMDb D page says uh, uh, what the movie tagline should have read: "13-year-old Arab girl goes around sleeping with everyone." Well, I mean, Alan Ball obviously has a, a slight fixation with sexuality, but. Um, I mean, he... He has a, a fucking Lolita complex. Well, he, he's... Uh, well, I mean, obviously, from a biographical point of view, what you need to know is, okay, Alan Ball is a gay man. He's, his sister died when she was very young, and he witnessed it, uh, which has led to him having a slightly macabre sensibility. Now, I mean, ultimately, we're going to end up getting back to the motives of the filmmaker now 
I mean, Ian, I think you're quite sort of antagonistic toward this. I'll be quite curious to see what you think. I mean, do you think that he was trying to make a point or do you think he was just trying to make a sensationalist movie? Or what What would you... Do, do, can you even sense an agenda? I think Alan Ball's... Like, judging by his previous work, I don't think he's someone who tried to make something sensationalist. I mean, I hear a lot... I haven't seen any of True Blood, but I hear there's a fair bit of stuff where it's a metaphor for being gay. And um, I, yeah. think, I think he's very... Um, I think he's very honest with his intentions. I think he's very sincere, but I just think with Towelhead, pretty much every single way he went about saying what he wanted to say was completely wrong. No, I was just wondering if, if you're familiar with uh, Todd Salance. Oh, um, happiness, palindromes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did you get? Because I have a, had a kind of when I first started watching Six Feet Under, which is very probably the thing that uh, Alan Ball's been involved in that has the most obvious relationship to this both sort of thematically and tone wise um i was i I was getting feelings of sort of totalons and um remembering just the sort of vileness of spirits that that film conjured up i mean do you think that's a fair comparison in a way but i thought happiness was very very darkly funny and maybe that just says something about me but i mean like i said to you on, on on twitter again it this film was either one of the blackest like comedy dramas I've ever seen or one of the m- most b- amazing clusterfucks I've ever seen and I'm not quite sure which one okay. it is. I think I, I think I know I think there was there were definitely moments that were supposed to be darkly comedic but uh but I just I don't think the whole film I don't think it it holds together very well at all. I think I think it's like you say, he uh, he he attacked the same point from one angle, and that didn't really work out. And then it, the the next scene would be the same point being laboured over from a different point of view with a different stereotypical character in the room. One thing that always springs uh, to mind with me in thinking about that issue in any context, but particularly in relationship with this, is about three or four years ago, I did a script writing course when I was living in Norwich, and the um, the head of the course, who was like a writer for the BBC, showed us the pilot episode of Six Feet Under. And I'd never seen it before at this point. I'd never watched it. And he used this as an example of like the mechanics of screenwriting. And the scene was the final scene of the pilot episode, which is a funeral. And it's really melodramatic and very much along the lines of, of this film in the sense that you've got a heartbreaking kind of pathos, but kind of comedy and absurd comedy going on as well. And afterwards, he, and he was like, well, that's how you should write a scene. That's great writing. And all of the, the sort of students in the class just turned on each other. And the other half were just like, well, it's just stupid. It's just silly. It's just laughable. It's comic. And there was this weird feeling of, is it black humour? Is it absurdism? Uh, is it meant to be taken seriously? And I think that that's certainly but, present here. Yeah, well, no, I, I think in some places this film is definitely, I suppose, like Six Feet Under, meaning to be be funny in a, in a very dark way but definitely meaning to be funny well, I mean, even the violent situations has the common melodrama people have different reactions to melodrama some people find it amusing some people just find it stupid okay so I mean this one's got a lot of dark subject matter in it and it's difficult to kind of bond with it now I mean it, 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 I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here Ian but 
Um, I mean, are there any films that have got reputations for being difficult to watch or a little bit raw? I, I really like uh, Michael Haneke's stuff and um, Funny Games in particular and its remake. Uh, I really enjoy, even though I know a lot of people have got some severe problems with uh, with those films and Haneke in general. So, but... so, so, so why, where does Haneke um, succeed in your mind where Alan Ball doesn't? Um because I think he's very honest in his intentions, which is fine uh, in in that case, because it's a very simple story he's trying to tell. is saying people like to watch violence. Here's a load of violence, but you're actually going to be in there directly with the people doing the violence because they're going to actually physically wink at the camera at you. And talk so you're complicit. You. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and I think that's very, very clever, but a lot of people get very, very annoyed by it. Whereas with, again, bashing Towelhead once again, um, <laughs> it, uh, it just, I, I, I thought, you know, the, the first 20 minutes, 30 minutes, where it is literally this girl being shit on again and again and again, uh, was just... You, 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 it was just horrible uh, for for no real reason at the end of the film, I felt. But is that just because um, Haneke's um, intentions were made clear within the film, so you had a certain amount of comfort uh, with that, whereas because the intentions of Alan Ball are, are a little bit more uh, enigmatic in this film, you felt less comfortable? Well, I think, I, I, in a way, I kind of think Alan Ball's intentions were kind of clear. He wanted to show how a young girl's view of sexuality and her own kind of changes in her body can be fucked by the uh, the actions of people around her. And it, it's kind of like, have either of you guys seen Teeth? Yeah, I have, yes. Yeah, I mean, it, like, that film, like, ex- kind of, even though it's in an exploitation kind of setting, it explores... Well, it's got how... it's got that same sort of a sexual awakening sort of theme. Yeah, and the fact that the girl, you know, she kind of half thinks it's normal what's going on because the textbooks are covered up and, you know, because, yeah. because she got, belongs to this, like, chastity society, you know, and... and, and uh, but then with Towelhead, it just, it, it's a similar thing, but it's, I don't know, it's almost exploitative in its own way, thinking about it. I think it's interesting. I was just looking on IMDb uh, at the lead actress, um, Summer Bizzle, uh, Biz Hill, not probably yeah. not Bizzle. Um, and that, that's the kind of uh, the, that's the, how the, Snoop would say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, like, she was born in '88. When say this was filmed two years ago, she still would have been what 19, 18, 19, and she's playing yeah. thirteen in this in in this. So it kind of opens up questions as to 
like the fact that you know Aaron Eckhart says like that's the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen or whatever he says you know and it I mean it it's weird it's kind of as if Alan Ball's playing with what people are actually thinking in the audience almost because she's blatantly not a 13 year old yeah and that's really apparent when she's juxtaposed with people in her school class who clearly are 13 like you know the slightly overweight girl that she starts to bond with yeah and her dad approves of it because she's white so he's like brilliant i'll support this even though she's not you know half the purse and um because when i was watching that scene i was thinking okay that girl that she's with clearly looks like she's a 13 year old Whereas Jazeera, perhaps not so much. But I think that that was just a practicality because they couldn't have shot some of the stuff. Even though it's non-explicit, they couldn't have shot. They could, you couldn't put a 13-year-old girl have a child actress in, that film. in those situations. No. And I mean, that was my... When I first watched this film, I was a little unsure about the actress's age. But, I mean, if they had... Well, they couldn't have cast a 13-year-old girl in this film. That would not have been possible. But, but, I, but mean, I mean... Sorry, carry on. Sorry, I mean, don't... It's just... I can't help but think that, that just that... Going back to the bit with Aaron Eckhart when he says the, the, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen or whatnot. Don't you... I, it's just... The fact that it's an eight... Like, an 18, 19-year-old body almost makes it easier to understand what he's thinking in a weird way. Because if you didn't know she was 13 in the film you might actually think mm. hang on a second yeah she is actually kind of attractive and i just i know they couldn't have had a 13 year old in the role for obvious reasons but, but I no, so is, okay, if, are you saying then that if that it's kind of letting his character off the hook a little bit because we are being presented with this girl who is of age for want of a better phrase in a way yes i think they could have got a girl who looked younger than her but was 18 yeah if i hadn't if i didn't know this was uh an alan ball film i wouldn't have known that a gay man had written and directed this film yeah quite right i wouldn't have pegged it because it it, it, it was a weird choice to have a girl that looks so old because a lot of the salacious very hetero. I, I think i think whether i mean i obviously it's obviously coming across that i don't like the film very much I thought it was it was an incredibly brave choice for Aaron Eckhart to take the role. Yeah, I mean, we haven't even talked about the cast of this film, have we? I mean, uh, Aaron Eckhart seems to be drawn towards these uh, grotesque male characters. Well, I mean, well, plus him and Tony Collette are sort of the darlings of the the indie film scene, yeah, aren't and they? the HBO scene as well. Yeah, I mean, um, Ian, have you seen um, In the Company of Men? Um. The Neil Laboot one? No, I haven't actually. No. Yeah, because that was um, Aaron Eckhart's kind of coming out party, and that was very much a him playing a despicable character. He seems to be drawn towards all of these uh, vile characters. I mean, he, but he was saddled slightly with playing the most stereo. I mean, I think I'm taking on the role of a defender of this of, of Talhead a little bit. But I think that one of the perhaps problems that Aaron Eckhart has a character as an actor has is that he always gets given these very arch uh, iconographical roles. I mean, we, we spoke a little bit through um, voicemails 
about his role in The Dark Knight, the fact that he had to play this pretty unsatisfying role. And in this film, he had to play the kind of gung-ho, racist, um, you know, kind of randy, um, you know, middle American cracker kind of character. Mm. I mean, is Aaron Eckhart just drawn towards playing controversial roles or what? I don't think the I don't think his role as Harvey Dent in Dark Knight was particularly controversial. I think, no, but it's thankless. I th- yeah, maybe, but I think he was pretty good in the Dark Knight. Like you say, he didn't have a lot to do, but um, I think what he did, he did, he did well enough. Um, and like I say, I think this is a braver role than most I've seen him in. Um, I still think my favourite Aaron Eckhart performance is "Thank You for Not Smoking," or "Thank You for Smoking," rather. Um, Ian, I'm curious about one thing. Uh, when we were twittering earlier on, I noticed that you sort of posted that you're about to start watching Towelhead, and then a little bit into it, you just put a post out that said, this is fucked. Now, I'm curious to know at what point in the film you made that uh, declaration. Um, when she was in the toilet, uh, having trouble with herself, and then getting off the yes. of the tampon. That was when I just thought, if I wasn't watching this for Chinstroker versus Punter, for you to... This this uh, Chinorama, Chinorama, <laughs> oh, uh, Sorry, yes, but uh, yeah, that, the film would have been shot off then. To be honest, I would have thought, right, okay, that's it. Really, uh, you, uh, you didn't strike me as a squeamish type. It's not that. It's just the fact that until that time, it literally been this girl is getting shit on for for so long, and then uh, and plus the fact that I've heard other podcasts and read reviews of the film. So that has that did skew my viewing going in, I'll admit, but not once did this film alter my perception through any of what was in it. So uh, the other thing as well, I think, I mean, Paul alluded to this a little bit earlier on, is the the issue of the the title of the film being controversial. But I mean, the feeling I got from it, I mean, and this is almost regardless of your opinion of the film uh, from a merits point of view is that this isn't a film about racism at all. This is a film about sexuality. And I think that male or female, when you get to that age where you're going through adolescence and you feel disillusioned, that is something that can be heightened if you kind of lay on top of that um, the difficulty of being a uh, you know Lebanese-American in 1992 or whenever this was, was set. Now, I mean, as far as the setting of the time of the film, I mean, why do you think this was set in 1992 or 93? Is it just so they could have the lazy um, juxtaposition of trying to fit into society with what was going on in the Middle East? Well, as in, well, it's set against the backdrop of the first Gulf War, isn't it? Um, Well, no, I don't necessarily think so, because they could have set it now against the backdrop of a a war in the Middle East, couldn't they? Mm. So it wasn't particularly necessary. I think probably because that's when the book was set. Uh, uh, Yeah, I was just going to say that. The the pragmatist. Yeah. Well, fuck you both. (laughs) (laughs) Go off and get your own fucking podcast. We will. Pantsarama, oh, you I'm will. Yeah. My life, <laughs> Cinerenta. Oh, I like. I my life is. That. My life is so empty and full of fear that I'm gonna have nightmares about you guys doing that, <laughs> cheating in that. I'm doing better, doing better than you in yeah. on the podcast, Alan. Oh, that's the fucking dream. But um, I mean, as well as how 
you were talking about the fact that uh, Jazeera basically just goes throughout the entire film being shit on. You get introduced to the Tony Collette character, who and her largely until the end of the, the film. Now, again, you could argue they're stereotypes. They're the kind of local bohemians. They're the people that she wants to sort of like meet and, and hang out. But with now, every single person in this film, as I maintain, has some sort of agenda towards Jazeera. They want yeah. something out of her. Like her mother wants companionship. Uh, her dad wants to just prove to the redneck neighbor that he's a functional American citizen. And he's mm. got a daughter. Um, now, I mean, d- does the Tony Collette character have any kind of agenda? Or is she, is she trying to get something out of Jazeera? Or is she just the, the one little ball of light in this film that says that maybe people are okay? Her and well, I, d- I don't know whether... Her and husband, yeah. Yeah. I don't know whether she's a. Uh, I don't know whether she's a little ball of light because you'd think, uh, upon seeing and hearing about all the different shit that is, you'd maybe offer a little bit more support to her than what the character does. Okay, you see. I, I mean, she is the one positive. Don't get me wrong; it's just not a massive positive. I, okay, two things I want to say here. First of all, I'm ready to defend this film, and second, we're on an hour, so I want to hear the case for the prosecution against Towelhead from both of you, one at a time. Ian Bristol first. Ladies first. I mean, after you. Oh, charming. Cheers for that, Paul. Um, Okay. Um... You are allowed to call him a cunt rag, by the way. <laughs> cunt rag. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't possibly. Charming. I'm I'm a guest. I'm not allowed to swear in the in the host's uh, boudoir uh, place of uh, <laughs> whatever. Just 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 call just call him a sea rag then. We'll know what you mean. What a crag? <laughs> yeah, a crag. yeah, even better. Like Sorry, mate. Go on. Let, let, let's hear it. Uh, okay. Um, let me think. Um, right. I thought the film as a whole was just I, I, I can't really put my finger on it I mean it the first half an hour or so was some of just the most ridiculously over the top kind of offensive stuff really to uh, that I've, I've seen in in quite some time and the rest of the film doesn't ever quite seem to redeem it from that and i i understand the 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 intentions of alan ball i think in trying to create a tale about sexuality in a world where sexuality is not really ever referred to and whatnot but i mean it just gets bogged down in just very very uncomfortable plot threads and uh, uh, which i mean i i don't quite know what the whole point of it all was apart from to say aaron eckhart's a dirty bastard and this young black kid wants to get laid an awful lot uh i I mean it and the girl doesn't seem to grow as a character in the slightest apart from the fact that she reads a textbook given to her by Tony Collette saying rapes a bad thing and i it just i i i'm a bit too drunk to really 
put it concisely. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice, but it just, just, just no. You know, I I would not recommend this film to a single person. I I have to uh, completely agree with Ian. Really, hey. I I go a step further. Actually, I thought I I thought it was boring. I thought Damn it was that. a. I thought it. I thought it was a. No, no. You said you were watching it through your fingers. How can a film no, that you no, provokes no, 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 that no. level of reaction be boring? Because because there are there are moments of real cringeworthy viewing in there. Which is the points I was reacting at, but the whole film isn't cringeworthy all the but way that's through. That's provoking a reaction from you. So how can you but, be bored but, if you're having a reaction? Well, if it? you'll let me finish my never up. bollocks. <laughs> I thought that uh, it was a story that's been told many times of sort of coming of age, sexual awakening sort of story, with these real, really heavy-handed stabs at. at how difficult it is trying to conform when you're the most wooden man in the world, as her father was. Uh, yeah. He could have he could have got a job working on Thunderbirds, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, I, I I don't know. I don't I don't necessarily know whether he whether Alan Ball did have a great point to tell with this film. I think he was just rehashing a story that had been done before with his own slightly twisted view. Um, and I didn't find it <laughs> out of ten. I didn't find it very entertaining, and uh, like Ian, it had probably been switched off after about half hour, maybe forty minutes, if I hadn't have been watching it. Well, I'm just glad that I've managed to spoil two people's weeks. <laughs> <laughs> How very efficient of me! I- I'm coming at this film from from a, a fanboyish point of view, which is I've I followed uh, Alan Ball for a while. He's a bit, a bit of a hero of mine. And I think this is definitely one of his more slight works. And I kind of accept and to a certain extent agree with the criticisms you made of it. But because I have followed his work, I kind of know his language of filmmaking. So I can enjoy it on the level of, and I don't mean it in in like an elitist way, but I can enjoy his filmmaking on the level of recognising motifs from things he's done earlier on. And I can kind of derive a level of enjoyment from this film from a, a, a fanboyish point of view, but somebody who hasn't followed Alan Ball. Ball is miming m- masturbation, by the way, <laughs> whilst I'm doing this. He's messing up with my flow big time, I'm telling you. <laughs> but but my, my main enjoyment factor for, from this film was the, the kind of recognition seen this done in shows he's done before and, and movies he's done before so that was the level that i enjoyed it on but um hey we, we didn't even have to go to my going through the plot points um one paragraph at a time notes to get Thank to, to Christ get for that man the film and, was the film was arduous <laughs> enough yeah right but i'm impressed but uh, but okay so that's where we all stand on a uh, towel head or um indecent enclosure or whatever it's called in europe <laughs> i'll just say one last thing if you don't mind Course. Right. Any film which ends with a 13-year-old girl just deciding, oh, no, yeah, we'll keep having sex. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to let anybody else spoil my fun. You know, that's... Is that really a film that can be enjoyed? I'm not being... I don't think I'm being prudish. At least... I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you guys don't think sex with 13-year-old girls isn't a, like a, a negative view of that's not being prudish. But... 
like that scene left a ridiculous. <laughs> Mike's got to be very quiet. I think my I think my silence speaks volumes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, no, I, fairness, I, no, no I, I, I would like to clarify this. <laughs> Even but there is no such thing as consensual sex with a thirteen-year-old. It's all bad and wrong. Okay, yes. I'm, I'm crystal clear here, on here. this issue. But it's just like, because I thought the last shot of the film with the baby being born and her having the smile on her face, I kind of thought, like, what, they were setting up a sequel where she's going to be like a 13-year-old with six kids or something like that because she goes baby crazy. I don't know. I just, I, it, I, it was. Don't say it. Write it. Yeah, but it was, you're right. There was, there was was no sense of a consequence, was there? Um, the char- her character didn't grow one iota throughout the whole no, film. No, but, uh, All the shit that was happening to her, and she did. She was like the hamster going every time. Yeah. That ties in though with the, my whole Alan Ball fanboyism is the fact that Alan Ball doesn't write stories where everybody learns a lesson. No, and where fair enough, but Alan Ball shouldn't write. Just for people that have watched all of other Alan Ball stuff, so no, they no, can understand his no, fucking no, work. No, no, you shouldn't, and that's why I agree with you guys about the failings of the film. Is the fact that you can only bring to um, how you're viewing something from the point of view of your previous experiences for, as a moviegoer. So you know that, that that's what forms it. But I, I just hope that you guys aren't too shell shocked. He should it. have stuck on the right wing for Southampton. He was brilliant out there. <laughs> <laughs> You see, I don't know what that means. I feel like Maria Bello at the beginning of this film saying she doesn't know who Chewbacca is. <laughs> Easy, Chewy. I'll just let that out this conversation. Okay, well, um, that was Towelhead on Chinorama. Now, I'm thinking of pausing don't this, going for my 50... 50- <laughs> That's Ian's AKA. sick review. AKA, don't fucking bother. Okay, um, <laughs> we're going to do some feedback now, man. Do you want to like hang around and just like chime in on all this? Yeah, you got to listen to feedback. Fantastic. Okay, mate. Well, is it all right if we take another brief break before going into that? Yeah, do it. I'll get another bit. Because Mike, Mike's got the Mike's got the bladder of a five-year-old <laughs> or an eighty-five-year-old, whichever you want to go. <laughs> we've uh, we've got our usual fucking avalanche of emails. <laughs> one is it? <laughs> I've only had one this week myself, actually. Yeah, you're just lying to make us feel better now. No, no, seriously. One, I've had one, one this week. One sack load. <laughs> Nah, nah, man, it's nothing like that, trust me. We did get a voicemail, but it was five seconds of traffic noise from Pittsburgh, I think. <laughs> really? Nice. So, somebody obviously started to ring us and then bottled it. How do you know it was in voicemail. Pittsburgh? Did you just hear someone going, I'm in Pittsburgh! And then they hang up. <laughs> no, no, it was just a... It's usually, it, was, it, it was the American number. I just random picked town. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. I don't... I don't know. I don't know why Pittsburgh popped in there. <laughs> okay, then. So let's see what we got here. Uh, we have an email from Chalupa saying, just... "Oh, mate, the Lebowski podcast." He said, "Just finished your Future Armor episode. I would love to hear some episodes on film genres." One night, I watched nothing but samurai films. <laughs> uh, sorry, one summer, I watched nothing but samurai films. I found a lot of scenes Tarantino ripped off for Kill Bill. It'd be great to hear your thoughts on any genre. How many movies do you think you'd watch before being able to talk about a genre? Look, if I can remember, blah, 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 blah. I think, I think we could happily talk about sci-fi now. 
<laughs> as a genre. I, I don't think I'd be very good with horror. I'm not much of a horror fan. You see, as soon as anybody I can says... pretty much talk shit about anything after watching a couple of films and, you know, going to the website. The website. I don't know. When everybody talks about genre, I, the first thing that springs into my mind is westerns. That's the thing. What do you really? say on westerns, Ian? I love westerns. Um, yeah, and no, I, uh, I, I recently watched Once Upon a Time in the West for the first time, and that was uh, incredible. Best soundtrack ever, as oh, well. Yeah, no, that's a stunning soundtrack. Claudia Cardinal as well, man. I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah, she's oh, she was very, very nice. Yes. Sorry, that's yeah. That's <laughs> that was great. You that cut was... out then, and all we got was she's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we agree. <laughs> well, I, maybe that could be our next uh, Chinorama exploit. Could be a, a genre discussion. Yeah. That's broad. Fun. Yeah. And it doesn't require a lot of um, research as well. I like it. I don't know. I think it would require a fair bit of research because otherwise you'd. Probably no, no, we don't. I don't. We don't research. Fuck all. <laughs> we make this shit up as we go along. Sounds quite familiar, actually. I must say. <laughs> Chalupa, I think that we can address your concerns, and I think that we can perhaps do a. So we can pick a genre and throw out our cinematic experiences within that genre. I'd, I'd be quite interested to hear what people thought about Futurama, particularly about these new films. Oh, have Especially you seen any of the, the, um, the new ones just uh, appeared on the interwebs? Uh, yeah, I have actually. Um, I don't know, I, I still haven't seen Bender's Game, it's just I haven't got around to it. I think I'm just going to let Love Film send it to me, to be honest. I, yeah, I'm just, I'm not really that enthused, I must say. Better the film decide. Yeah, yeah. I I I, enjo- I enjoyed Into the Wild Green Yonder. I thought it was much better than the the middle two movies. Um, but uh, I think Bender's Big Score is still the best one. Okay, let's take care of business. Um, Ian, could you remind the listeners of this week's webisode? Uh, know how they can get in contact with you. Uh, yes, um, you can email cineramapodcast at yahoo.co.uk. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Ian Loring. That's all one word. Uh, you can read me during the week at www.therattle.co.uk. And uh, give us both reviews on iTunes, you fucks. <laughs> yeah, that's the, oh, way, no, no, that's no, the I, way to I've curry got, I'm sorry, I've, I've got to point something out here. Uh, Chalupa, who um, emailed us tonight, he, you know, a couple of weeks back, and you, you echoed this on Cinerama. Uh, I asked him to take, um, to, well, I asked our listeners to take screenshots of our uh, US or yes. Australian or whatever, and uh, we've actually got some back. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> the only one that we, it was a screenshot from this guy from um, the Big Lebowski podcast. Or, sorry, the Lebowski cast, and. He took the photograph of the reviews on uh, iTunes in America, and the only review we had was the one that he had posted. <laughs> oh, no. At least you got him. Really appreciate it. Yeah. I haven't got it was a clue. A good, it was a nice I, review. I probably haven't got anybody, though. I mean, like, no, nobody... It, it strikes me as really odd that you can't look at different country... Re- the reviews from different people in different be countries... 
I've tried Googling it. I've tried Googling it four or five different combinations of words. That's as much of the effort that I've put into that it has been, but you, I can't find shit. You'd think that there was some sort of like dirty website you could go to and look oh, at Oh, there is, but not can't. for... Oh, right. Oh, so, yeah, we're talking about different things here, aren't we? <laughs> it's a bit of a specialised okay. market, though, isn't it, really? Like, I want to see reviews of my podcast from countries I don't live in. It's not really a, a, a very populist would, kind of thing, That is pretty is specific. I would have... Uh, not that I've expend any time on it i'd probably have got a little bit further than youtube by the bloody sounds of it couldn't you just email the people at hey, itunes you're unemployed paul you've got the time couldn't you <laughs> say i'm in the uk i'd be quite interested to see the reviews i'm getting in other countries going nothing you've got nothing <laughs> yeah i'm just i'm just afraid of rejection so no <laughs> The people well, at my pod don't fucking scare me. I, I love the fact that, and this is a common thing because uh, most of my like online friends are fellow podcasters. That uh, podcasters always have to share this common personality trait of being attention seekers who are scared of rejection. That might be you, Michael, but that's not me. I he is. I, he's speaking. He's speaking for himself, Darren, because that ain't me either. <laughs> yeah. I've I... been rejected more times than I can fucking count. <laughs> you have no fear of rejection. I don't. <laughs> it's like water off a fucking duck's back, no, no. Oh, no, I didn't mean that. I'm hanging <laughs> from the raft. <laughs> it's like having a, a, a hairy Michael Hutchins in the oh. corner of the room. <laughs> no, the ceilings aren't high enough in my house for me to hang myself. Oh. I'm quite tall. <laughs> Paul. Tell the audience how they can contact us because you're better at this shit than I am. <coughs> That's because I've got it written down handily. It helps. They you they can find us at chinstrokerversuspunter.blogspot or dot my podcast. They can email us at chinstrokerversuspunter at gmail.com. Vote for us on Podcast Alley. Review us on iTunes. US phone number 206-339-7698. For the UK, it's 001-206-339-7698. Ian, you need to get a phone line. No, I got a bloody Skype voicemail line for like three months and no one bothered. I couldn't be fucked, basically. <laughs> that, like, <laughs> right, seriously. I like him. He reminds I, me of the young me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, I think, I think you, you guys actually said it on um, your uh, Ed Wood show. Maybe I was listening to it earlier today. Uh, a, a very fine show as well, I must say. Um, to to do a voicemail is really really not that hard, and it would be great to hear different voices on the shows because I can't stand the sound of Mike and Paul, and I just want to hear somebody <laughs> else on their show. <laughs> I love this it's guy. Strange. We get a lot of emails about you're the, right, kid. The, the same sort of a. Uh... Same sort of tenant as that, except it's, it's just Mike. <laughs> See, I only keep, keep Paul here. Fuck him anyway. <laughs> he's, he's more of a fluffer than he is a co-host. Thanks. That's nice. He's like, Mike, keep some white, keep talking. He just gets all upset because we haven't had an email that agrees with him yet. No, we haven't. That is the weird thing. Is that? Um, it's only we, weird to you. Uh, well, and to my... Invisible agreeers. <laughs> You're invisible posse. Every time we get an opinionated email, it is in agreement with Paul. And I'm just, I'm, 
Well, I'm sending it out there <laughs> to my brothers. There's got to be somebody out there who just thinks that Mike's I'm right, right for a fucking change. <laughs> Validation, that's all I want. I'm a Leo. I'm needy. <laughs> Oh, excellent. Okay, we got we got two more points of business to clear up. Um, first of all, is what we are going to do next in the already burgeoning Chinorama canon. Is that secondly going to be the is genre thing? As the next Chin Stroker versus Punter uh, episode movie choice. The next film I'm doing is uh, 1975 Steven Spielberg's Jaws. Oh, get you. Nice I'll be there. So, uh, uh, Ian, what do you reckon next time the three of us go... go I was going to say three-way, but that sounds somehow... CD. Yeah. And it's not, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that genre. The genre idea. Okay. Yeah, so, I do like you want to have a, a genre discussion? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, well, like... The thing is, I've been a bit of a fascist on this one, so uh, I'm going to throw this out to one of you guys to take up the slack and make the decision and uh, do the whole kind of not-on-my-watch thing. Well, no, I mean, if it's going to be a conversation about genre, it's necessary. But I can have a a, a fairly vague structure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can have a stroke. I can have a fairly vague structure. I I was just going to say, I'm I'm more than happy to go with sci-fi to be honest i think if it sounds like you guys have got a fair bit to say on the topic i'm sure i could think of some shit fantastic i think we'd be coming in from different directions as well which might be a provoke conversation i would imagine i'm gonna call um the thing the greatest sci-fi film of all time so uh that's gonna be something to yes provoke discussion i'm good sure good call have, have you heard our big trouble in little china episode with it like yeah, funny last as year. fuck, I enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. Just you up. Nice. But I'd have to, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to go for great sci-fi film of all time. Uh, Star Trek for The Journey Home. <laughs> oh, that film doesn't even exist. It's The Voyage Home. Oh, The Voyage Home. I'm, I'm <laughs> correcting you. Oh. Yet somehow I am single. And somehow everyone always agrees with me. This feels very much like you are on an episode of Chin Stroker vs. Punter. Now, I'd like me and Paul to be on an episode of Cinerama within your world, if you know what I mean. Does that mean we'd have to actually write coherent, structured reviews of films? No, no, but I, 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 I want to be um, Ian's guest. I don't guest. know whether I could manage that. Do, do you know where I'm coming from, Ian? Yeah, I don't, I don't write shit anymore. I write stuff for the website, and I, I just blabber for the reviews. So I was actually going to mention that off-air, but uh, yeah, man, I'd be more than happy for you guys to come on. Just let me know when you can. Excellent. Well, do, you, do you do you have an idea of what you're going to review in the show before you watch the films each week? Uh, yeah, I've got a pretty clear idea to be honest with you. But uh, if, if you, you could, to... if you if you just pick a week and send us sort of the itinerary, as it were, and then we can then I can just get downloading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, safe. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, like. I know. Well, actually, it's not that far away now. But I mean, w- would you guys fancy joining me for the Watchmen episode? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, there you go. Then. That'd be right, fantastic. That's <laughs> I'd, I'd, yeah, yeah, that'd be good. 
Alright, cool. Alright, well, um, yeah, I mean, Watchmen comes out the 6th of March, so that's, what, three weeks today? No. Yeah. Yeah, three weeks today. Yeah, about that. Good deal, good deal. And you realise that together, we've got, we've got Chinstroker versus Punter, we've got Cinerama, we've got hints of uh, Cinema Slave, we've got allegiances with Nowhere in Mulberry. We can take down and shit on the corpse of Simply Syndicated. <laughs> yeah! Fuck them. Fuck them. We are going to take those motherfuckers down. We're going to create our own podcast network. We're going to fucking steal their, their cheese. <laughs> their women. <laughs> We're going to cut off their internet connections. <laughs> We're going to school them. I like it. 